And so just welcome to the Dwelling Place Church. I'm so glad that you're here on behalf of all the pastors and the leaders. We welcome you to the Dwelling Place Church. If, it's, if you're new here, if it's your first time, we just welcome you. TDP family, can you just make everyone feel welcome? Thank you for being here. Let's be honest, we all could have been somewhere else, but we chose to come into fellowship of the body. And, and, and why are we here at the Dwelling Place Church? It's because we believe that Jesus is our Savior and has redeemed us. And we believe till this day that he is the hope of the world. Whether people receive or reject, he still remains the hope. And he will restore all things and he will bring to justice all things that need justice. And the plan of God will be fulfilled in our world. We believe that. And so thank you so much for being here. Um, again, uh, on behalf of the pastors, we, we welcome you. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Ezekiel Velez, and I have the beautiful honor and privilege uh, to, to lead this beautiful church community uh, alongside with my wife, our first lady, Pastor Tanya. If you could just wave. She's the pretty lady in the second row over there. Thank God for her and all the pastors here and all the volunteers again. Thank you for making this a community, uh, a fellowship. The Bible speaks about that in Christ, right? We know that he, he's blessed us with his spirit, right? It's actually how we're born again. We're born again by the spirit. And the beauty of this is that not only do we get access back to our father who created us, but God is so generous that as we enter in covenant and into being born again with God, we're then blessed into a community, a family. Like, this is the whole, this is the whole picture of the communion and the Lord's Supper, right? Like, it wasn't just Jesus and Peter, and he kicked everybody else out the room, right? Even Judas got to sit at that table, believe it or not. But it's, we, we enter into communion and fellowship with God, and yes, we get a God and we get a Father, but we get a beautiful brother and sister too. And so that's something that's important to us here at the Dwelling Place Church. Uh, we're real people who love God and love Jesus. And so we also want you to experience the beauty of family. So uh, when service is dismissed, please don't run out the front door. I mean, uh, you can if you have to, but feel free to sit, talk. Uh, we'll have, uh, I think, some refreshments. I don't know. Yes, most of the time there's some kind of snack for you. But um, just sit and embrace what it means to be in the presence of God and in the presence of a beautiful community of believers. Amen? And so, uh, as it's Baptism Sunday, uh, there are many ways we can do this. Thank you guys for standing. You're hanging tough. Remain standing. Um, we could talk about whatever we want to talk about. We could be in the middle of a theme, and then at the end we could say, hey, then we're going to just baptize a couple of people. But um, I think what works best, or what we have found to work best, is that when we do baptism, that we're, you know, we open up our baptismal, that we speak about it. Because the last thing we don't want to happen is for people to uh, be uninformed about water baptism and then partake without understanding. It doesn't mean that if you get in there and you didn't understand that the pool is going to turn into scorching hot water and disintegrate you and the wrath of God is going to strike the pool. <laughs> I promise that won't happen. But how much better when we partake in good things with understanding? And so it's good to partake in a tradition, so to say. That's a bad word for this. But it's, it's bad to partake in good traditions and not understand them. 
because then at that point, it's only, it's only religious behavior, and it might be the right thing to do, but you might be missing it. And so there's something very beautiful about water baptism that we don't want to miss as we invite people here to go beneath waters, amen? And so we're gonna take some time this morning. I love speaking about baptism. This is probably like my thousandth time preaching on it. Uh, it's different every time, not because I'm changing it. I would hope not, God forbid, but um, just so much about it. Uh, and it's just, it's just a beautiful message in itself. So if you can kindly turn to the book of Acts chapter eight. Uh, this portion of scripture, I'm gonna read from the New King James Version. For those that are probably going to open up to a device or if you have a different paper Bible, and it'll be provided on the screen just above me. But again, from the New King James Version. If you have it, say amen. We used to say that all the time. If you have it, say amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. amen. Right. So we're going to begin at verse 26, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. I'm just going to read it, uh, and then we'll fill in context later, okay? Because that's important when you read, you understand what you're reading. Precisely, we're going to see that in the text. It's good that we're going to read this, but it's more important that we understand that which we read. Clearly, this text is going to show us that. Something profound happens, or the potential for something profound and significant can happen when we understand what we read. Amen? Picking up at verse 36, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. <laughs> so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. 28. Uh, was returning. So he had come to, Jeru he had come to Jerusalem to, wor to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Go be nosy. <laughs> so Philip ran up on this dude. So Philip ran to him <laughs> and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, look, do you understand what you're reading? How important it is to understand what you're reading. Beginning to read is the start. But it cannot be finished until you understand. And he said, how can I? Look at the humility. Because most of us would be like, yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. Anyone? You get points for this, if you could just shout it out as we read. So he's reading from the prophet who? Uh, Isaiah. Uh, you get points. Just shout it out as, as we read, because he's going to, if you know. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. 
and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Anyone? Come on. Isaiah 53. Awesome. You guys get points. Isaiah 53. We just read this, uh, I think, two Sundays ago. We read the whole chapter together. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? And this is a good question. Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, Isaiah, for us would be Isaiah 53. It's important to know that the eunuch did not have Isaiah 53. It's, there was no chapter verse. None, that didn't exist. That's, you know, he had a scroll. Um, beginning at the scripture, look, he preached what? Jesus to him. Wow. He's reading Isaiah 53. He begins at that scripture, and he's able to preach Jesus to the man from Isaiah 53. Powerful. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? What a question. There's water. What hinders me? What keeps me? In other words, why shouldn't I? be baptized now. Today, church, I tell you, look, hey, guess what? There's water. How ironic. The question that we're going to ask today is why shouldn't, or to make it personal, you, you should ask yourself, why shouldn't I be baptized? What hinders me from being baptized? Now, verse 37, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Let's look at verse 37. For some of you who have a paper Bible, depending on your translation, 37 doesn't even exist. But don't worry, it's not gone. They didn't rip it out. It's in a footnote, probably down at the bottom. Welcome to the world of textual criticism. I love it. It's fun. But the reason why newer translations don't have it within and, and, and pull it out is because uh, through textual criticism, you see that verse 37 in our Bibles was inserted later on. It's in later manuscripts. It's not in the older manuscripts. And so uh, you would say, we would say that older manuscripts are a little bit more reliable. So what does this mean? That the whole Bible is ruined because you got an insertion somewhere? No, the only thing, this is not bad, have no fear. Uh, what has been inserted by verse 37 is actually the obvious. In order for Philip to be baptized, he would have to believe in his heart. And so later on, it was just added for clarification to kind of just put it all together, the means by which someone would then proceed into baptism. And this would be consistent with all of Scripture, that one must believe in their heart for it to be meaningful and true to the individual. So have no fear. But it's there in your footnote, and it explains it. And so today, I'm going to, again, I'm going to preach to you from this title. We're going to ask ourselves a question. And most of us ask our question, most of us ask this, why should I be baptized, right? But today, I want to kind of just change that a little bit. And rather than asking, why should you, today, I want to ask, why shouldn't you? Okay? Why shouldn't I be baptized? Amen? And we'll talk about that. You may be seated. 
So the heart is to answer that question, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? And the reason is because we see in Scripture that Jesus actually commands us to baptize and be baptized. Jesus instructs his believers, he instructs his church to baptize and for believers to be baptized. And so one might say to answer the question, why should I be baptized? Simply because God says so. (laughs) How many people love when, uh, as a child growing up, you remember your parent telling you to do something, and when you came with why, they told you, because I said so. Saying so is enough. I'm your daddy. Saying so is enough. I'm your mommy. (laughs) I know you're ignorant, and I see things, right? We know they're ignorant. We know that they're young. We see things that they don't see. And out of love and in our wisdom to protect them or to guide them onto life, then we instruct them to do things. And so most of us have had parents where our response is, because I said so. And so while that should be enough for a child to obey simply because their parent told them and because they said so, there is something beautiful about when a parent and when we do take time to actually explain why we are commanding our children, amen? How many people would agree? Because at that point, now you have your child following an order that's going to probably protect them or eventually lead them to life, but they're going to miss the understanding on that journey to there. And so sometimes telling a child, yes, children, obey your parents because they say so, do it. Absolutely. But something significant can happen in the mind of us when we're children, when someone pauses, when our parents or a leader or an elder pauses to explain why they're telling us to do something. And so the beautiful thing about this Uh, relating it to scripture when it comes to baptism yes we should be baptized because the bible said so because god the father said so that should be more than sufficient because god said so but the beautiful thing about scripture is that it explains why and so yes in one sense we do baptism in obedience to god and that should be a good thing. If we love God, if we, if, 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 we, if, if we love that Jesus has redeemed us and saved us, it should be a joy to be obedient to the commands of our Father. Amen? It's a joy. It should be. We, we sing we love God, right? We sing these songs and we all smile, we throw our hands up, and we clap and worship to God. So it should be a joy to be obedient to the Father's commands. And so one says, yes, we baptize and we do baptism simply because... God said so. But in turn, it should be a joy to obey our Father who we know that we can trust him in all his wisdom, in all his guidance, and in all his instruction. For we know that the will of God is to make us new in the end. The will of the Father is to make a new heaven, to make a new earth. And so God is right, and God is just, and God is true. And so when I, eventually, we, as, as, we, as we pursue God, we come to trust God in his instruction. And so then it, be, it can be a joy to obey God, not just in water baptism, but in all that God has said. Amen? And so what we also see going into baptism, when we talk about water baptism precisely, is that water baptism really comes into play in the Gospels. It comes into play in the Gospels. And we're introducing the Gospels to a man named John, and because he was baptizing people and inviting them into water baptism, he is known in our text in our scriptures as John the Baptist, and you can see him in the Gospels. And what John was doing, he sensed, he sensed the nearness of the kingdom of God coming to earth, and we have spoken about this. So he sensed, he felt it, he felt the, draw, the, the, the nearing 
of the Messiah coming. And so it led him in such a way that he didn't stay in his father's footsteps. His father was Zechariah, and his father was actually a priest in the temple, which would mean that then John was in line to be a priest himself. Did you ever catch that? And so if John was just following what his father was doing, he soon would be preparing to be a priest in the temple. But there's so much beyond uh, the order that's in front of him, there's so much more beyond the religious system that's in place. And when we, when we learn the full narrative, we also know that God's presence is not truly in that temple anyway. It's a failed, it's, 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 a, a, it's a, misrepres- a misrepresentation of the presence of God. There's, 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 there's injustice happening at that temple. And we see that Jesus, when he comes later on, he, he, he brings accusation against the temple and the religious leaders. So... If the Spirit of God is actually swelling up in John, then it's not going to bring him to the temple. It's going to, it's, going to, it's going to pull him away. And it isolates John, and it brings him out into the wilderness. And he's stirred with preaching. He's stirred with a message. And his message is this, and he's calling everyone to repent. He knows he doesn't have a platform in the temple. It makes no sense for him to go there. He probably would have got killed immediately, or he would have been uh, silenced right away. But he goes out into, he's drawn by the Spirit out into the wilderness, and he begins to preach this message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is coming near. And he senses it. He senses it. And so much that as he's preaching, and, and there are people that are, uh, and, and what is he, when, he, when he's preaching that the kingdom of heaven is near, it's also, under, it's also important for us to understand the cultural context and the setting of this. He's calling Israel, he's calling, all, all the, he's calling the region of Judea, all of those, these people in, 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 in Palestine, he's calling it to repentance because why? When he says the kingdom of heaven is drawing near, they all understand the prophetic announcement that, that, is, that, that he's making. It's Yahweh, it's their Messiah, it's who they've been waiting for. He, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, depending on the gospel you read, is coming and people respond to this message. They respond to this message, and what he does is, they, as they repent, you read this in the text, as they are repenting of their sin, he is baptizing them. And so in order for someone to be baptized, they would have to, like, even in John's baptism, they would have to repent of their sin, and they would have to then, listen, trust that Messiah is coming. And so we don't know how long, if it's a year that he's doing this. The text doesn't tell us if it's 10 years. We, we, it, that, the text omits that detail. But nonetheless, he is faithful to preaching repentance and announcing that the kingdom of heaven is coming near. And then when we get into the gospel accounts, we read that while John is being led by the Spirit, so is Jesus. And the Spirit leads Jesus to John. And we have this in the Gospel of John, that when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, now he's been saying, the Messiah's coming, the, the, you know, Yahweh is coming. He senses it, he feels it. He doesn't know who, but he knows it's coming. That when he sees Jesus approaching him, his, I could imagine his eyes opening, I could imagine him maybe falling to his knees, I don't know what he did. But he, when he sees, we have in the text that he says, behold, seeing Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's, he, he's able then to identify the one that he has been proclaiming would come. 
And so now, when Jesus comes onto the scene, now we're able to identify where the kingdom of God is coming from and who's it coming in. It's coming in the person of Jesus. And so now I could imagine him shouting that. I, I, I could imagine him telling everybody who's just repented and baptized, oh, I told y'all he was coming. I told you the kingdom of heaven was coming. And here is Jesus. And so I could imagine John, like, probably telling everyone, all right, you know, like, get the balloons ready, get the parade ready, you know, get the confetti, I don't know, we got to, the Messiah is here, okay, if you're here, coming to rule and to reign, because this is what Messiah was supposed to do, he's supposed to bring liberation to the Jewish people. He's supposed to uh, remove their oppression and their bondage. And, and, and he's supposed to bring justice to all wickedness. And, 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 and he's God coming to reclaim his throne here on earth. So I could imagine John saying, great, wonderful, the king is here. Let's, uh, should we make our way to Rome and let Caesar know you're here, that the real king has come? And when Jesus comes, he's like, shh, shh, shh. He says, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, what? <laughs> he's confused. He's, 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 he's kind of like, what, you, what do you mean? We have in the text that John, when he was preaching, he said, there is one who's coming after me whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie. Like, like John knew that when Messiah comes, that that even he who's a herald, even he who the Spirit is using to announce the coming, that even him, as an announcer of the king, is not even worthy to untie his shoes. And so John, in humility, says, I can't, I can't baptize you. You should be the one baptizing me. And this makes sense for John. I would have probably... Anyone in their right mind would have not expected for Jesus to say, now you baptize me. Why? Because what was part of John's baptism? You can say there were really just two requirements for John's water baptism. One, repent of your sin. Two, believe that Messiah is coming. And so if you repent of your sin and you believe that Messiah is coming, then now you can be water baptized. And so when Jesus comes... Jesus does not meet those requirements. Why? Because he exceeds them. Jesus does not need to repent of his own sin. As a matter of fact, Jesus was, I don't know what word to use, but Jesus himself was able to carry and bear the sin of the entire world. So he does not have sin to repent from. He's so powerful, he will carry the weight of sin and be punished for it. So he's not beneath the first standard of qualification for water baptism. He is above it. Number two, Jesus does not need to believe that the kingdom of heaven is coming and put faith in it. For he is the kingdom of heaven that has come. So John's looking at him like, above the standard, no reason for me to baptize you. And you can actually read this in Matthew chapter 3. It's not in there, but... Jesus says, you have to permit this to be so, for this is to fulfill all righteousness. And it's an expression that is hard to understand. I'm sure it has major implications. 
But on a fundamental level, what Jesus is saying, this is the right thing to do. To fulfill all righteousness. In order for man to be in right standing with God. When you look at the word righteousness in the Hebrew scriptures, it's not about moral perfection. It's about being in right relationship, being in right standing. And he says, you must baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. We need to do this because this is going to be a picture demonstration that Jesus is going to invite everyone to follow that's going to show Ultimately, how we are in right relationship with our Father and Creator. And so again, Jesus is not getting baptized because he needs to repent of sin. And Jesus is not getting baptized because he needs to have faith that he is the one. He knows he's the one. And then something uniquely special happens at Jesus' baptism that does not happen at anyone else's before him. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped. I'm sorry, where am I? Let me, I want to go to Mark, actually. Mark 1. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, look, and was baptized by John, where? In the Jordan. There's a lot there going into the Hebrew scriptures, but I'm not going to drag you through the Jordan now. But the Jordan was just... It's, it's not, I mean, that pool is cleaner than the Jordan. <laughs> it's not. However, however, this is where John the Baptist brought the people to be baptized. Now, just to go into the Hebrew scriptures really quick, it was Joshua who led the children of Israel, right, into the promised land, but in order to get into, look, in order to get into the promise, they had to go through the waters of the Jordan. And so the nation, Moses led them through the Red Sea, and the people came out, headed towards the promised land. Joshua takes them through the Jordan, and, and, and in many ways, uh, they figuratively were baptized through the waters onto the promise that God had for them. And so in baptism of John, John is doing the same thing. He's baptizing people for their sins, and as they come out, it's also so that they can enter the promise of the kingdom of God. So there's a, there's a symbolic connection that you can make of this Jordan. But Jesus goes and he stands in this very filthy, dirty Jordan, just like every other human being with no exception. He doesn't say, you're going to baptize me, but I need a tub and uh, I need essential oils dumped in, you know, like, <laughs> and scented candles around because, you know, Jesus comes and he steps on the very dirt that humanity would touch, a sinful man would touch, and he would, his feet would touch the same rocks and pebbles and filth, and he would be submerged in the murky, dark waters of the Jordan, just like all, but it would, it would be pointing, it would be sim symbolizing what would actually take place in his life later on. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, just as Jesus, look at this, was coming up out of the water. What happens? He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And if you've been in our temple series, it's like the veil is rolled back, right? The veil is rolled back, just as Jacob had that encounter 
where, where, where the veil, the heavens were rolled back and he saw what? He saw a, a, a staircase and he saw angels ascending and descending and, 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 and the, the, the word, right, uh, God was at the top and, 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 and then speaks to Jacob and he has this moment and heaven touches earth and he has this experience and he's, Jacob's on earth, he's asleep on a rock and he has this vision, but heaven comes to him and he has this encounter with God and he says, this none other is the, the, the gate of heaven. And so at Jesus' baptism, the curtain rose back again as he's coming up out of the water. And look, and as the, the heavens are opening, what is coming down? The Spirit descends on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Look, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I promise you, if I got baptized just before Jesus, I'd be like, John, I want my money back. <laughs> that ain't happened for me. What's going on here? Like, you baptized me, and like, I just see mosquitoes around here. This dude gets baptized, and the Spirit of God is descending like a dove up in here, and there's voices coming out of heaven saying, this is my son? <laughs> what baptism I have? <laughs> and while we can laugh about those distinctions, clearly there is one. There is one. And so while Jesus is participating in water baptism, it's clearly a sign of something changing. You can say almost an inauguration. It's not just a baptism of water for Jesus. You can say it's a baptism of the Spirit of God descending on Jesus. And so people could now, you know, we could have those good conversations. Well, did Jesus have the spirit before or is it now? Like, is he just a regular man before and now he's got the spirit? I would say no. If you read in Luke chapter 2, the, the, the presence of God and the favor and the grace of God was with Jesus from the beginning. We don't have much about Jesus' life in the scriptures, but in Luke chapter 2, it tells us that when he was 12 years old, that his parents took him to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, as they would do this every single year. And I guess, you know, there's a lot of people. I told you there's a lot of people in Jerusalem. There's usually 50,000 people in this city, but during the time of the Passover that whole week, there's 150,000. And so there's a lot of family members. There's a lot of kids, cousins, you know, and Jesus just got left behind. How you leave the Son of God behind? Mary and Joseph just forget the boy. And as they're traveling, like, oh, my God, where's Jesus? They probably had another little kid, like, you're not Jesus. This is Jose. <laughs> you know? And then they got to go back and get Jesus. I don't know. And, and they're looking for him. And where do they find him? Where do they find Jesus? They, like, they give Jose back and they take Jesus, right? <laughs> give me my kid back. But where they find him, he's in that temple. He's in that temple. And he's, it says he's asking questions. But he's also answering, insomuch that the people at the temple are amazed at him. And the text tells us that he's growing in favor and in stature with God. And so you know that the Spirit's with him already. But something uniquely happens at his baptism that there's just, the veil is torn back. Now we know that Jesus sees this. It's, it's, it's hard to, to figure out in the text if John saw the heavens tear open too, or if the crowds that were there see it, we, we, we don't know. But something happens where heaven touches earth. And so now, when this happens, remember when John saw Jesus, he said, this is the Lamb of God. 
which is the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. Now, John did the right thing in initiating this water baptism, but now the water baptism has true meaning and significance. For in John's repentance of your sin, but now that Jesus is in this baptism and Jesus is in the picture, now you can say baptism is for the repentance of your sin because the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of this world. And so now it's not just repentance unto God, it's repentance through the Lamb. And now it's not just the kingdom of God is coming, it's now the kingdom of God is here. And so John's baptism is a good, it's like, it's like a good preschool. It's a good preschool of the reality that will come through Jesus and his baptism. And so what we have to see this too is that it's an actual water baptism and it's a baptism of the Spirit. Uh, when I conclude the discussion, I'm going to talk about uh, what baptism is not. It's important that you understand what baptism is not so that you can know, so we can know what baptism is. But it's also important, and I'm just going to put this out there right now, for someone who says, well, I've already been baptized in the Spirit. I do not need water baptism. I would push back on that. Okay? Yes, we need the baptism of the Spirit, but God also commanded the baptism of water. And we're not, we're not obeying half of what Jesus says. It's to obey. It's to come to a place where we obey all of what Jesus said. And so Jesus did have the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove, very spiritual, baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's what you want to call it, sure. But he was also coming up out of the water, baptism of water. And you've seen Jesus submitting to water baptism. So yes, we want you baptized in the Spirit because we, we don't want you wet and angry and bitter. We want you re redeemed, renewed, bearing the fruits of the Spirit, but we want you wet too. Amen? <laughs> And so what would happen, Jesus would be baptized, and then the rest of the gospel is just Jesus on this mission. It's like Jesus 2.0. <laughs> like Jesus supersizing the Holy Ghost, right? Like he's just moving in power. And I mean, after he's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy for 40 days, and he enters into this fast. But when he comes out, he comes out in full power, and we have the gospels. And it's not a, today's sermon is not about the gospels. But how does the gospels end? Well, Matthew precisely uh, captured Jesus after his resurrection. You can read this in Matthew 28, and in the Gospels we'll have Jesus post-resurrection. But Jesus doesn't, when he resurrects, he, 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 he stays physically in front of them for another 40 days. And then in Acts chapter 1, we see that he then, the, the heavens roll back again, and he enters into this dimension of heaven, and he's gone again. And so it's, now they can't see him. It doesn't mean that Jesus is gone forever. It just means he just went into this place like this, this realm, this dimension of heaven that we can't see with our physical eyes. But before that happens, he gives his disciples instructions. And we have talked about this uh, numerous times. How, how significant are final words? If you knew that today was going to be the last day that you were here what would those final words look like? What would you say? What would you tell your wife? What would you tell your husband? What would you tell your parents? What would you tell your children? What would you tell those people dear to you? 
I'm not saying we would all say the same thing, but whatever we would say would be meaningful to us and to them. You wouldn't tell them, you wouldn't speak about nonsense, you wouldn't think, speak about unimportant things. You would talk to them about, about things that matter. You probably might want to invest something into them, deposit a wisdom into them, give them some guidance if it's your children. Before I go, you know, tell them the, you know, the three greatest lessons that you learned in your life so that then they can go forward with that truth that you learned, something of impact and meaning. So this is how we have to see when Jesus is with his disciples and he, has their, he gives these final words. Can you imagine what Jesus is going to say? Anyone wants to guess what Jesus is going to say? You don't have to answer, but let's, you know. Like, what is Jesus going to say? I mean, he said so much, he's done so much. I mean, there's tons of things. There, the Bible says that Jesus did so many things that the books couldn't contain him. We don't know all that. So what is he going to talk about? I mean, he has a plethora of things to discuss with these people. And in Matthew 28, we read this, picking up at verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has give, been given to me. Where? In heaven and on earth. And that makes sense if you were in the temple series. He's going, to, he's going to reign in heaven and earth in their unification. And all authority belongs to him, okay? He says, now look, now here he's going to give some instruction. What he's going to tell them? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And this is a beautiful instruction. For they were his disciples. They lived with him. They had commun uh, communion with him. They learned who Jesus was, and Jesus was hoping for them to see him as Messiah and King. They did life together. They were his disciples. In other words, they were students. They were followers. They were listeners. He was their rabbi. He was the teacher. They were the apprentice. And they observed him, and so he says, as you have been my disciples, go and make disciples of the nations. And we can also understand he's not necessarily saying now you are the rabbi and you are the teacher, make disciples of you, but he's commissioning them that they, that, that they make disciples. Yes, they would be physically teachers to the people who would come to faith, but ultimately it was make disciples, more disciples of Jesus. For we're going to see that he's not going to say, now you give them your greatest life lessons and you give them all your wisdom and you pour into them all, you know, all your, you know, your greatest achievements. No, he's going to tell them to make disciples and then to fill them with all that Christ filled them with. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of the nations. And he's not exclusive to Jews but it's here clearly saying make disciples of the nations to the whole world, all Gentiles, non-Jews. And that alone, too, is for them is, is, is a little brain shattering to see that Messiah is not just inviting the Jewish people into this new covenant through Christ, but it's an invitation to the entire world. And so he says, baptizing them, look, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So one, he's going to commission them to make more disciples as they have been disciples. And then he's going to tell them and to baptize them. And he's referring to water baptism. He says, in the name of who? The Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Where would that come from? Well, we saw at Jesus' baptism, who was present? 
The Father spoke. And he identified Jesus as what? The Son. And that is so profound. That was a profound revelation. Because if you believe that Messiah was coming back, you understood him as king. And if you were paying attention to the words of Isaiah the prophet, if you paid close attention, if you were like a Bible nerd, then you would also realize that he was described as a servant as well. And that's part of what they missed. They were missing the servant's part, let alone they were going to understand him as the son of God. But Isaiah spoke about the spirit of God filling Messiah. And Isaiah spoke about and identifying the Messiah to come as a servant. I'm going to read Isaiah for us now. Now, you remember in the baptism, right, who's present? The Father is present, Jesus is present, and then the Holy Spirit is present. And so you see, you see the Trinity in the, bap- in the baptism of Jesus. It doesn't have to say the word Trinity, but you clearly see it. The Father is there announcing, commending the Son, and it's the Holy Spirit that is there involved in the mix of it all. And you see Father, Son, Holy Spirit all united. But what did the prophet Isaiah say in chapter 11? He says this, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David. King David, one of Israel's greatest kings. And the prophet spoke, not just Isaiah, but that Messiah would come from that line. And here's Isaiah's part in that. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So yes, at this present time when Jesus is around, Isaiah is about 700 years in the past, and so Isaiah is speaking forward about Messiah coming. Like yes, David's line has ended, and there's no king from David's line sitting, reigning in Jerusalem. By the time we're in the Gospels, uh, Jerusalem has no king. They're under Roman rule. But the prophet spoke that a shoot, look at this, the shoot will come up from the stump of David, from Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Verse 2 says this, look, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of God the Lord. And so what happens at Jesus' baptism, where you see the Spirit of God descending, the prophet spoke that the Spirit would rest upon him. How beautiful. How beautiful. And so this is cool stuff to see, that when you're reading, like, oh, cool, the Spirit came on him, blah, 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 blah. No, the prophet 700 years said that the Spirit of what? Wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord would be on him. And this doesn't mean that Jesus was afraid of the Father God. It just means that what? He obeyed him. He had reverence for him. He walked in obedience and in subjection to the will of the Father over his life. He was in the fear of the Lord, not there on his own account, not there on his own will, but doing and submitting himself to the will of the Father. And so Isaiah's words in chapter 11, we see, we should start to say, wow, in this baptism so much was happening for Jesus. But then Isaiah doesn't end there. Isaiah 42, he says, here is my, look, here it is, my servant. Isaiah 42, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, look at this, One with whom 
I am pleased. Oh. Oh. What is happening at the baptism? Well, obviously, Isaiah here is not speaking on his own account, but he's speaking the words of God as a prophet. And God said through Isaiah that, look, my chosen one whom I'm well pleased. Some of your translations, for the most part, might say, in whom my soul delights. He goes, upon him I will put my spirit, and he shall bring forth justice to the nations. So God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah 700 years prior, said that my servant, I am well pleased with him. And so at the baptism, now shoot 700 years forward, in the baptism when Jesus is coming up out of the water, Jesus is only, the father is only repeating what he said to Isaiah. This is my son. And he, he, he does something there. He goes from Yes, he's the servant, but now he's the son in whom I'm well pleased. And he repeats his words that he spoke nearly 700 years ago. And so don't think Jesus just fell out the sky and came out of nowhere. He's, he's the one that the prophets were speaking about And so what happens, Jesus, on his final words, he tells the disciples, you make disciples, not of you, of me, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them, this is verse 20 of Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We can't even imagine, Right? can imagine all the things that he taught them. But he says, what I have taught you to be a disciple is, is to be a student and then, and, then, and then to learn. And so now all that Christ has invested into these men through teaching them is what they're supposed to pour into others that would come to faith in the gospel message. And then they would begin to be taught. That's important because... In today's world, people come to church for a bunch of reasons. They, sometimes we come here just to see people. And as much as we love, I want you to see each other. It's a huge thing for us. I, I said this, don't leave when the service is over, right? Like, stay and talk, see each other. But without us meeting God and being made new, then we're not really much good for each other, honestly. Right? right? Like, if I'm not made new in mind and heart then what can I really give you? Like spiritually, what can I really pour into you if I, if I don't? So, so it begins on the foundation of, of, of Christ being at our center and from us leaning in and, and, and learning from Christ, then I have something to offer you. So how do I gain something from Christ? You have to be a student. How do you, how do you gain knowledge and understand? You have, to, you have to be a student of something. In today's world, everyone just wants to be famous. Like, you could get a bunch of Legos and have someone record you and you're famous. Like, I'm not knocking it. You're making your money. But I'm just saying, like, I actually saw the most greatest Legos ever. It's like Bible Legos. Pastor Sarai sent this to me, and I was amazed. I'm watching Lego videos over here about uh, Easter and all this kind of stuff like that. It's pretty fascinating, so I'm not knocking Legos. But my point being, 
we come to church for so many other reasons. See people, we come because we like music. We, we pick the church we go to if it has the music that we like. We don't care what it's saying. We don't care what it's teaching. Sometimes we just pick them because we like the music. Or sometimes we're just picking because we like the people. And, and it, it is about the people, but it's so much more than the people. Because most of the time when we make it about the people, when we, pick, when we pick it by the people, it's like, do I fit in with these people? Do they look like me? Do they talk like me? Do they smell like me? And if I fit in, then that's where I want to go. And I want to tell you, it's so much more than that. Like, that, can't, it can't be, that cannot be the, the order of how this works. The people are important, but not from that perspective. And so we come because we either like the music, because we like the people, we don't got nothing else to do, is because our parents told us to. And we're not coming to church to learn what Jesus has said. Well, that becomes the responsibility of the church at that point, because we don't give a microphone to everyone. So whoever has the microphone, whether it's a Sunday, a, tu- a Thursday for us, Tuesday, then we're, we're responsible to teach you the word of God. So that's our responsibility. The terrible thing is that when that's happening and no one's paying attention, no one's listening, it is terrible. I've been talking with my wife. It's terrible when you do Bible study and there's three people there. Absolutely terrible. Yeah, it is. Makes me feel really bad. And I can't get mad at everyone. I can't stone everyone because when I was younger, my mom used to do Bible study. I hated it. I love it now. So my wife is telling me, have patience. Things happen in season. People will come around. People will come around, right? So um, pray for me. Pray for me. But it's, it's like, wait a minute. So when, what are we coming here for? We say we love the word of God, but there's five people watching online. Don't tell me you love the word of God then. You love to worship, and, you love, and then everyone's in the lobby. Oh, wait a minute, where's the service? Who's preaching in the coffee bar over there that, like, is the sermon better over there than over here? But Jesus, in his last words, tells them, make disciples. You're going to baptize them, Right? You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then you're going to teach them everything that I taught you. But we live in a generation that's not teachable and doesn't want to learn. And then we wonder why we are a wreck. We wonder why we don't understand God. Like, I, worship is good and singing songs are good, but your understanding, your doctrines, your theology can't really come from a worship song. Like, you've, we got to, like, we got to a point where we, we test songs, like, to test that spirit in that song because the lyric has got my brain twitching. Like, what? And these days, a lot of our songs are just poetic, and that's great. I'm not saying you can't, you, I can't I'm not saying that all of our songs have to be a, a chapter in the Bible. I'm not saying that either because people go that far. No, we just got to sing the scripture. Well, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they didn't have no scripture to sing. They sang a song that came from their heart. David's making songs from his heart. So I'm not against songs coming from our heart like some people are. Like, no, you just got to sing an old hymn. Sing an old hymn, but don't also knock a new expression of worship to God. But we just got to also make sure that they're not saying crazy stuff, man. Because then we'll sing that song, you make all things new, and the whole church left thinking they're getting new cars, new houses, a new man, your man is waiting by the door, you pray he wear blue today, now there's two guys in blue, like, what are you going to do? So, 
Then you asked him, Pastor Tanya, to pray for discernment between the two because we sang about a new. Make a mess. We can make a mess in here, I promise you. All right, sorry. <laughs> oh, my God, where am I? And what do... So Jesus gives these instructions, and in Acts chapter 1, he goes into the heavens. What do the disciples do? They obey his instructions. Immediately... Acts chapter 2, the very next chapter, after he ascends to the heaven, you can see the commission kind of restated. Uh, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, you see it restated, him telling him to go to the ends of the earth and to preach, right? You, you have it there in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, we have the famous chapter where, the, where, 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 where Jesus told them also, wait in this upper room, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And there's 120 of them in there, and they're there for several days, and then the Spirit comes upon them. And so there's a lot of people in Jerusalem there celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. And they hear all the commotion. The, the, the people in the room are filled with the Spirit, and God gives them the ability to speak different languages, languages that are not native to them. And so the crowds who had come from, you know, from the outside, who came to Jerusalem just to celebrate, hear the disciples and these people, these followers of Jesus, praising God in their native tongue. And that's huge. That's a, it, it's, it means something. Them speaking tongues is huge because these people were converts to Judaism. And in a sense, they had to forsake their native tongue to get to God, you know, through the Jewish system. And so now Jesus, right, the Spirit has just baptized these church who these people here are, are, are Jewish people. But now they're praising God and someone who's had to deny their language to get to God. And so it's really just God opening a door to, 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 to Gentiles and those who had converted to Judaism to see the grace of God inviting them in without them having to deny their culture or their language anymore. So it's beautiful how that all works together. But point being what happens, everyone's like, what's going on here? Oh, my God, there's this confusion. And they're like, I think some of these people are drunk. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then Peter gets up full of the presence and the spirit of God. He says, these people are not drunk. It's too early for that. And he gets up and he preaches our first account after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the first sermon recorded by one of the apostles. And you can read that in Acts chapter 2. And he preaches to them and he tells them, does this whole nice sermon, go ahead and read it. But he's like, and we crucified Jesus the Messiah. We crucified them. And it says in Acts 2, verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So what do we do now? So his words pierced their hearts. Peter replied, Look, repent and be baptized. And now this is not the repentance and this is not the baptism of John. John's, remember, was repentance from sin, but this repentance is repentance because we know that the Lamb of God was slain, Jesus. He was crucified and he, his blood was shed. So it's repent for your sin and by Jesus' blood you're forgiven. You have forgiveness of sin by the blood of Jesus. And Peter was able to say, and we know that. We weren't at the cross, we were afraid, but we know it. 
And then he says what? And be baptized. Why does he encourage them to be baptized? Because it's what Jesus told them that they needed to do. And it says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, look, for the forgiveness of your sins. And look what he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say pick one, baptism, or the Holy Spirit. He says, be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Be baptized in water and receive the Holy Spirit. It says, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And it's this great, beautiful invitation to everyone there. And it's open. It's not just that God wants to welcome you into his grace through what Christ did just for you, but it's for the generation after you, your children. It's for the generation after that, their children. Salvation is for, for all of us. And so later on in the book of Acts, you would see, if you read, that as the apostles went out and preached, that they would preach this very same message. They would preach the message of Jesus, the cross, his resurrection. They would invite people to repent. Like, this is the basis, the basis of salvation, repentance. What's repentance? It's to, to turn away from your sin and and to then pursue what? It would be to pursue the message of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And in turning away from the life that we lived and turning away from the directions that we were going and turning away from our mindsets and our lifestyles, we would, we would turn to Jesus and to his words and to his teachings. Now, his disciples had it all firsthand. And they didn't have any scriptures. They couldn't be like, open up to Matthew chapter 1 because this is what Jesus did. No, they walked Matthew was Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. And he'd have to say, open up to this. He would say, this is what happened, and this is how Jesus called me, and this is what he said. And the other possibly be like, yes, and on Sermon on the Mount, this is what he said. And so they had their actual lives as testimonies to bear witness to these people. But you and I don't have that personal, you weren't there, were you there with Jesus? I don't think so. But... But what do you and I have of the testimony of Jesus to teach one another and share? All you and I have are the scriptures. That's the foundation. We have the scriptures to teach people. And, and yes, you might have your personal experiences with God and your encounter. And that's wonderful. But check those two in accordance with the scriptures. Scriptures will tell you you got to test the spirits whether they're from God or not. So our first means of teaching the church, to disciple the church, and to mature a church are not personal experience. Yes, I will share that. I have a real experience with God because you, we do see that that has to come from your heart. So it has to be personal, my relationship with God. But it's the scriptures that help me learn about who Jesus is. Some of us spend hours and hours praying, Jesus, show me yourself, show me yourself. Like, man, he didn't say anything. Then you go back in again. 
two-day fast wasn't enough. I'm doing a seven-day. He needs to speak to me. You're like, man, nothing happened. He didn't say nothing. You, you're about to push a 14-day fast. If go 40 days, you're crazy. <laughs> Asking God to speak to you. And I promise you, he does. But let me tell you this. He has already spoken. That doesn't mean that he doesn't speak. It just means that probably more than half of your prayers that you're, or, 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 or insights about God that you want to know for him to speak to you, he's, he's already spoken in his word. And what you probably need to do is sit down and search for him in his word. And you will hear him speak and you'll start to learn and then you'll start to gain understanding. And if you don't understand what you read, this is when you go to your brother or your sister. Or this is why you have, this is why we have, this is why God designed the church. So that when you are reading and you're like, man, I don't understand. And you're like the eunuch who he went to Jerusalem to worship. He was a worshiper, it says. And he's got scriptures in his hand. He has a scroll, Isaiah. And he has a heart to read. He just doesn't understand. But he's honest that he doesn't understand. And he says, how can I understand unless someone teaches and instructs me? And this is why God has blessed us. He's given us a church. The Bible talks about in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, about the gifts that he's given to the church. And in those gifts are gifts of teaching and instruction to help us to grow as we pursue Jesus and to understand God. But most of us don't want to go to church. We don't want to go to Bible study. And then we're praying for 10 hours and we don't want to read our Bible. And we're wondering why we don't know or feel that we hear God. How can you when you refuse to be a disciple? It's the only way. How can we transform into an image of God if we're not discipled by the words of God? No, I'm just the worship type. I'm just the prayer warrior type. You, you need to be the worship type, and you need to be the prayer warrior type. But without knowing God, then your prayers could be corrupt. And, and then we can pray and, and pray amiss, missing. We don't understand who God is, so when I'm praying to him, I'm praying to someone I really don't know. And then I have expectations of who God is because why? I, the worship song made them up to me. And maybe the worship song wasn't bad, but I didn't understand that those worship lyrics came from a word that I refused to read. And it's not even that the song is bad. It's just that we lack understanding. And so then we are left to fill it in with whatever we, I don't know, whatever feels right. And then in today's church world, people say, oh, my gosh, everything and anything. And most of us are like, whoa, that's really good. And we, rep we repost nonsense. Like, it's really, really sad, and I don't know what to do.
And this is why it's so important that we become disciples, learners. And not so much of people who we think are cool, but of the scriptures. And the disciples will be faithful to the preaching of the gospel and, and preaching repentance and baptizing people. And what's so beautiful as you read the scriptures, when people got baptized, they weren't like, oh, gosh, I got to get in the water. <laughs> they received it with so much joy. It was a joy for them to obey God. And so what were they being baptized for? Well, the beautiful thing is we had a picture in John's, but then we have the reality in Christ's water baptism. But even Christ's water baptism was just pointing to what would actually happen. And so here, let's put it all together and I'll start to end. When Jesus goes into the water, into the dirty Jordan, he touches the ground and the filth and the murky water. It, it would be a symbol of what would really happen to him where the sin of the world he would bear. And, he, and, and then he would be punished. The wrath of God would come upon him. And, and this is how he would pay on account of our sin. So he's not being punished because he's guilty. He's being punished because he's standing in the place of our sin. And there is a wage of sin. There's a cost to sin. It must be punished. And so as he's in the waters, as the waters touch him, symbolizing the, the, the sin that would touch him, and as he goes down into the waters, it symbolizes the, the death that he would experience on the cross. And as he's fully under the waters, it symbolizes his burial. And Jesus would die on a Friday. He would be in the tomb on a Sabbath day resting. A beautiful picture. I love that. I want to preach about it. Be in the tomb on that Sabbath day. And then he would resurrect on Sunday, the first day of the week. And so in his water baptism, it was, it, was, it was pointing forward to the death on the cross, the burial in the tomb. But as he came out of the waters, it symbolized the resurrection that he would actually walk in. But the full beautiful message of this is it's not just like, wow, awesome job, Jesus. It's because he would do this and he, as Paul said, would be the first fruits of all of us who are in Christ. And the promise of scripture is this, as Jesus rose from his grave, all of us who die in Christ will also raise too. 1 Corinthians 15 is not about a Casper the friendly ghost resurrection, it is about a bodily resurrection as Christ rose. Isn't that amazing? To know that when we die, we just sleep? The Bible doesn't talk much about that in that, 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 that space there. We know that when the thief was on the cross, Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. We don't know what that paradise actually is, but the Bible talks about us sleeping and resting until resurrection. But to believe that we will come out of our graves, and some of you are like, but pastor, what about crema cremation? Well, I don't know, maybe the dust particles come, come back. I don't know how God will do it. Like, but what if I've been scattered over the Caribbean? Can God do it then? 
Yes, somehow he'll bring all the little particles back. Maybe some of us come out of a grave. Some of you maybe come out of the ocean. I don't know what it looks like. But all I know is that we will resurrect. And so our water baptism symbolizes the same. We're able to relate to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because none of, you don't have to go to the cross for your sin because Jesus has already gone there for us. But this is how we relate to it. This is how we take identity with it. But we're not just taking identity and dying like Christ. We're taking identity and being buried and resurrecting. And so our water baptism as believers helps us identify with the full gospel message of Jesus. Look at Romans 6, last verses I'll be reading. Romans 6, verse 4. We were therefore, look, buried with him through what? Romans 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through what? Baptism. Into what? Death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life life. Isn't that beautiful? We've been buried with him. How? I haven't been buried? Like, that would be really weird if God told us, you know, when you come to Christ and we got to bury you for a couple of hours and then you got to come out just to symbolize what, that I was buried. Like, that'd be weird. I'm glad he said water. And you're lucky you're in Florida because it gets hot. But there's something about the baptism that we unite, what? In the death. But so we can also feel, connect with the resurrection that we have in this new life we live with him. Verse 5, for if we've, look, been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. And so, what is baptism? What is water baptism? Now, all different denominations of Christian faith, I mean, there's a thousand different sermons and a thousand different beliefs, and that's all right. But one thing we all share, and we do believe in some type of water baptism. Some people, they throw water at their face, splash them, I don't know. There's all different kinds of age, when, why, who, um, and I'll share some of those. But I believe that scriptures show us that baptism is the sign of the covenant that we have through Christ Jesus that's made by his blood. There are two things that Jesus gave the church like, and told them, hey, this is what you need to, this is what you got to do. You got to baptize people. But he also told them, partake in the Lord's Supper. This is, why we do, this is why we do the Lord's Supper. On the night of the Passover, right, he, he took the opportunity, he, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is given for them. And he said, this, drink of this cup, this is the blood of my new covenant for you. And so he told them, do this in remembrance of me. So he gave an instruction for the church to practice that. 
So again, that becomes a routine that we practice, but it's important that we understand it so we're not just doing something and missing what it means. But then he's given a meal for us to partake in, and then he's given us baptism. And while the bread and the cup highlight the body and the blood shed for us so that we could be in covenant with God, the baptism shows us how we resurrect because we have partook in the body and the blood. And so in the Old Testament, the Jewish people had circumcision as a sign of the covenant that they were in with God. And so for Abraham to enter into the covenant with God, God placed a lot of blessings towards Abraham and spoke of things for him to be in fellowship with God. And what he told Abraham to do to show a sign of that relationship, they had to be circumcised. It was just a symbol of the agreement that they were in. And in the Old Testament, you couldn't say you were in covenant with God and not be circumcised. Abraham, his children, his whole entire Servants, they all had to. So in the New Testament, we don't have to follow circumcision. You don't have to be circumcised to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Um, but the closest thing that I see that God tells us to show as a sign of the relationship that we have with him is this water baptism. Look at what Colossians 2 says. He says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. So he's saying there's a circumcision, and circumcision was clearly the sign of the covenant. So what he's saying is, you do have a sign of the covenant, just not one with human hands. He says, look, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised, what? By Christ, having been buried with him in baptism which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so while circumcision was the cutting away of a part of the flesh, Paul is telling the church here that you too have been circumcised, but not that human circumcision made by hands under the Jewish old covenant. He says you've been circumcised and all of your flesh has been put away. How? When you were buried with him in baptism. And so as circumcision was the sign to the Jewish people that they were in covenant with God, in many ways our water baptism becomes the sign of the cutting away, the dying of our old man being buried and us coming up in the newness of life. And it's something that they did publicly it's something that they rejoiced in because Jesus said to, but because it pointed towards the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for them and the resurrection that they were walking in. What a joy to partake in something like that. So now the question is, if you are a believer in Jesus, why shouldn't you be baptized? Why wouldn't you Obey what God said. I'm baptized in the Spirit. So was Jesus, and he was water baptized. Yeah, but on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, and I already got that. Yeah, that, that, that. And you know what Peter did? 
He preached to those people and they say, what should we do? What should we do? He says, repent all of you and be baptized. And that day they preached and 3,000 of them received Christ, repented of their sins and were baptized and came into the kingdom of God. And as you read, as they preached, they preached repentance and water baptism and the people got water baptized and they were filled with the spirit of God. It's not one or the other. It's both. So if you believe, why wouldn't you obey and experience the joy to reflect on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus? All right. I'm going to tell you what baptism isn't or what baptism is not, okay? Just so we're all clear. Baptism isn't the means of our salvation. That's not what we're saying. Rather, baptism is more so an expression of that salvation. So you're not saved because you're baptized. That thief on the cross was going to be in paradise with Jesus, and he didn't have time to get baptized. So baptism is also not for the unbeliever. Rather, baptism are for those that understand and wholeheartedly believe by faith the good news of Jesus. And that's what you see in Scripture. They're baptized once they believe, and they have taken by faith the beautiful gospel and good news of Jesus. Here again, baptism is not the washing away of your sins. Doesn't mean your sins have not been washed away because you were not baptized. Rather, our sins have already been washed away by the shedding of Jesus' blood. Baptism only speaks towards the death of Christ on behalf of those sins. Baptism does not make you a Christian. But rather because you are a Christian, you are then baptized. Amen? So if you, have, if you have faith in Christ and you haven't been baptized, we're not here saying you haven't been a Christian. We're saying you've been a Christian who has not been baptized. And you should be baptized. Why shouldn't you be baptized? That's what we're saying. This is really important. Baptism is not someone else's choice for you. Here at the Dwelling Place Church, we don't... Uh, we don't, we don't teach on making people get baptized. We do child dedication here, but we won't tell you to baptize your children because we believe in Scripture that baptism is for the person that repents and comes into a consciousness of their sin and their need for a Savior dying and comprehending the gospel message. So therefore, how can I make someone be baptized? Someone has to believe for themselves. So baptism is, it should not be your husband's decision for you. Sometimes we look at people, you need to get baptized. You got to kill that old man. <laughs> and you can, we can look at people and say, they need baptism. But again, it's the expression of, aware, of, of what already has been taking place in someone's heart in their repentance with God. So baptism is not someone else's choice for you. Biblical baptism follows belief in the gospel, repentance of sin, and faith. And how can anyone else do any of this such on your behalf? Baptism is a personal choice after faith. Also this too, baptism is not first about identifying to a religious church denomination. Rather, baptism is about one person declaring their faith in Jesus Christ, sharing in the death and burial and resurrection with Christ. 
So it's not first. This baptism is not to be associated to the dwelling place church who's a non-denominational church. First, this baptism is about you identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and you're welcomed in our church. Last one. These were seven. Last one. And we can make a list of more, but let's have a seven. Baptism is not the cool thing to do. I can't tell you how many people where when baptism starts, they had no belief, they had no faith. And while baptism is happening, it's not that they have come into belief or faith. They just see how beautiful it looks and emotionally they want to partake. So baptism is not about being cool or looking beautiful. We do not baptize, nor should one be baptized today because it looks beautiful. Baptism is not about being cool and beautiful. It's about being obedient and being right. After coming to faith in Jesus. Amen? So today I'm going to ask you, if you are not baptized, and you believe and have faith, as the eunuch did, he's reading the scripture, he didn't understand it, Philip stops, explains Isaiah 53, is able to point to Jesus, the fulfillment of the suffering Messiah, servant, And then we get in the text that Philip sees the water and says, why shouldn't I be baptized then? Philip doesn't say, well, you know what? You got to take a three-week course on baptism, and when you graduate, then we can baptize you. He doesn't say, well, you're ready for salvation and the the Messiah of Isaiah 53, but it's a next step when you get really serious with God, and then you got to go through. It's like, he says, do you believe? He says, yeah, I believe. Jesus is Lord. And that opens the door for him to be water baptized. What's important that you understand the gospel, you understand what that is a picture of, and then if you have faith, then why shouldn't you be baptized today? Amen? And so at this time, I pray that you have received the message. I pray that in this you heard the gospel. So why shouldn't you be baptized if you're, if you're not? And so I know there's a couple of people that came today ready to be baptized, and I celebrate you. I'm so excited for you and your decision to do that. Um, but today's gonna, we're going to open it up. Maybe you did not come here looking to be baptized, but I pray you heard the gospel, and the, hearing the gospel prompts you to be baptized today. You say, but I don't got no shirt. We have shirts. I don't have no shorts. We have shorts. I don't got a towel. We have towels. Why shouldn't you? be baptized. Amen? And so for those people that came ready, I'm going to invite you just to be brave right now and bold and just stand up and you can make your way to the restroom so you can change. And as they stand up, those people came ready. Maybe they already changed. Anyone here ready? Where are you at? I know you're in here somewhere. Maybe they're out there changed. Who knows? Maybe you didn't come ready, but today you say, I want to be water baptized. Then I'm going to invite you just to stand up with them. If you need assistance with clothing, Uh, see Sister Nori over there by the lamp and the door, and she can help you uh, find some clothes uh, fitting for you in baptism. And then I'm going to get ready, and then we're going to rejoice, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to rejoice in being obedient to God and remember the death and burial and resurrection that Christ did on our behalf so that we can also walk in the newness of life. Amen? Anyone going to be baptized today? Yes? No? Maybe so? I know one person went. Let's celebrate for that one person.
thank you. What a joy um, it is to be here and share the word of God with you. Uh, my prayer as your pastor is that we would continue to be disciples and cherish the word of God and seek to be students. Amen. And it's how we're made new. It's how we mature. And so uh, thank you so much. We're not going to end the service because we're going to baptize at least one person here today. Um, and so just give us a couple of moments to, for them to change, for me to change, and then Sister Karina is going to come up here, give you some announcements. Uh, we're not going to dismiss, but ask everyone to kind of keep your peace. If you have to leave, then that's okay. Uh, but don't make a party out in the lobby right now. I will come out there flipping tables. <laughs> Respectfully, if you're not going to stay for the baptism, then just remain seated like grown-ups, right? Be patient, and we'll celebrate our brother or sisters or the people getting baptized. And if you have to leave, then we'll just ask that you, you know, don't make a party in the lobby. Get your coffee, and then you can dismiss if you have to. Amen? Uh, but Sister Karina, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for your time.